something that grinds my gears. E-commerce businesses are always looking for margin. One of the ways I just realized that we were losing a lot of money is if you start collecting sales tax, you have to pay processing fees like Stripe credit card fees, credit card charges on the sales tax you collect. I don't remember any time the government was like, actually, you get a deduction because you paid 2.9% in processing charges. Right. The government's like, give, you collected $100, give me $100. Yeah. You, you had to pay $3 in fees? Fuck you. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. Nick, the first decade in e-commerce was all about customer acquisition with Facebook, Google, and Snap. The next decade of e-commerce is going to be all about customer retention. Now, at the end of the day, you got to look at what's left in the bank account when all is said and done. What's contribution margin look like and how much profit is there that will fund my next purchase order or my next ad campaign? With your AOV, I bet your customers would have loved the loyalty program. When I was at Hint, our loyalty program was incredible, but it was too outdated. That's why I'm so excited that we're partnering with Tandem for this season. Tandem is the infrastructure that allows brands to launch their own branded credit cards in less than 48 hours. With branded cards from Tandem, you cut processing fees by 66% and use their suite of tools to improve your contribution margin by up to 10%. Book your demo with Tandem and see how branded payments can level up your business. If you go to ddc.creditcard in your browser, you'll even get a $100 Amazon gift card to take a demo. That's ddc.creditcard and book a demo to see how you can maximize contribution margin. Okay, Nick, it's 2024. Uh, we're it's recording year. in January. Bunch of stuff to talk about. It's been a few weeks since we recorded. Yeah, a lot of things have happened. Yeah. I've got a few things that I want to talk about. Just some random stuff that has come up, come to my attention over the past uh, few weeks. And then I also want to save like the last 10 minutes or 15 minutes for predictions for 2024. Nice. What we think is going to happen. Tell me what you want to talk about. Let's start there. Um, I've got one thing that I want to talk about just that I'm seeing more and more from brands that I speak with in terms of what they're really lacking just to get their sales going or either increase their sales from where they're at. Yeah. And so I want to talk through that. And then the other thing I wanted to talk through is like, I don't know if you've been seeing everything happening on the side of distressed brands or these brands just going straight into bankruptcy. Yeah. It it seems like in December there was a spike of it happening. Yeah. And then I started to look at some of the companies that were buying these companies. And so I want to talk about those companies because there's a few in there. There's a lot of companies that are doing the roll-up that are doing it really wrong. And then there's a few companies that are doing it really well. Okay, And I think it'd be fun to talk about those. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, I feel like December is the month for bankruptcies and engagements. Is there a reason for that? Like, is there any incentive to go bankrupt in December? (laughs) No, I think no. I, I, there's no, I think it's just nice because that way you don't have to like worry about tax. You're just yeah. like, we're done with this. Clean cut. We're out. And also I think people are like from a mental perspective or like start the new year fresh. Yeah. I had an idea earlier, which was, so I've been running ads for my newsletter now and it's been, it's just been fun testing and, and seeing what's working. Yeah. Where are you running ads on Facebook or Facebook, Twitter? Google, Sparkloop. And Twitter. What the heck is Sparkloop? Sparkloop's like a newsletter referral network. Got it. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which one's been the most effective? Let's start there. Uh, uh, let's do a quick, let's do 30 seconds. Okay. It's too so, interesting to give up. So Google has been the cheapest cost per subscriber, but the lowest, Number. the least we can spend. Yeah. Okay. There's not a lot you can spend And you're there. bidding on unbranded search terms, like newsletter, yeah, exactly. e-commerce newsletter. E-commerce newsletter, marketing newsletter. Wow. It's hard. There's not a lot of searches there. 
The second one would be Meta. That's been super effective. And what's been interesting is we've just been playing with the creative a lot. Yeah. And the things that are based, so we tested, first we tested, what if we just go to a landing page, which is uh, visit.nick.co slash subscribe. And that's the landing page that we've been using. So we were running there and it was doing well. And then I thought, well, what if we get some of the newsletters and then gate them after you know the third paragraph and then you have to basically put your email in to unlock the full article? That surprisingly didn't work as well. And I think it's because the nature of what people are doing on the platform is just scrolling quickly. Yeah. Where they don't want to go like read something for five, seven minutes. So that was an interesting learning. And then Sparkloop just recently started. That's the cheapest yeah. cost of subscriber. Uh, about two thirds of like what Facebook is. But what's Facebook? It's around three dollars. Okay. To get four dollars. To get an email address. Yeah. Google's around two fifty to three dollars. Spark loops around, uh, I want to say a dollar fifty to two dollars. Okay, somewhere around there. Oh wow! So half of Facebook, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I don't know what the scale is like yet. But anyways, all this got me thinking today. Like, we should do this for the podcast because I think a lot of people would benefit from the podcast if we just ran ads and got it in front of them. Or you know, there's a lot of people who would want to listen to it. They just haven't discovered it yet. Discovered so, what? I'm sorry. Wait, I'm the not. podcast. Okay. Limited supply. Oh, 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 gotcha. Oh, you mean run ads for the podcast? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And so I was thinking, um, you know, do you remember those old smart URL links that artists would share? It would like, you'd click it and then it would say, okay, do you want to listen in Spotify? Yeah. Apple? Yeah, yeah. Sure. It's like, we can make one of those. Yeah. We make that the conversion event, the yeah. button there. Yeah. And then we should get a fan, like somebody who listens to this should make us the trailer and we should pay them for the trailer because they'll it. have the best perspective of like uh, why you should listen to Yeah, exactly. So if you're listening and you know how to edit video and you want to make a trailer and get paid for it, you should hit us up, Twitter or email. Okay, fantastic. And then if they send you a trailer and we run ads, what do they get? I don't know, a shout out and some money. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, and how much money? Let's make it clear. Uh, okay. Bucks, thousand bucks? Let's say uh, for anybody who submits, we, we should probably cap this at like 10, a thousand bucks. 10 people where we actually choose that we run yeah. their ads. Yeah. That we pick them. It's not just like some guy can yeah. submit a shitty ad. We'll give up to 10. Okay. And uh, yeah, we have to choose your ad. We have yeah. to say that this, this is, is a good. good one. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, great. And then how much money are you spending on uh, your newsletter ads? So- $4 CPA on Facebook, two fifty on Sparknotes, dollars ish yeah. Google. In November, we spent about, damn, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> We spent about 20 grand on Facebook. Okay. And about 2,500 on Google. Okay. And I don't think we had uh, Spark Luke up yeah, yeah. or Twitter. Okay. You know what's interesting about Twitter is we turned on Twitter and then realized that there's the conversion rate tanked of the page. The, the conversion rate normally is like 50%. One out of every two people who come put their email in. But on Twitter, it was 5%. And it's just all full of bot traffic. Then we changed the targeting a bit. Instead of, I think, targeting users, we started targeting interests. And that made the numbers work out, even with the 5% conversion rate, around a $3. For Twitter. For, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, oh, there's still a lot of bots on Twitter, huh? But yeah, it's crazy that like bot traffic is such a, I mean, 50 to 5% is an insane drop. And in fact, I would think Twitter would be where you get an even better 
return on your ad spend. Yeah. That's where you spend most of your time. Like Yeah, and Twitter, yeah. if I go in the Twitter ads, pl- so I have like, you know, 179, 170 followers. Yeah. If I go in the Twitter ad platform, it says based on where your content goes, we know that you have an audience of 700,000 right here. So you would think the ads would be the most efficient. Yeah. That's like basically uploading a CRM list or like yeah. a yeah, 0.2% lookalike. lookalike. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, wow, that's crazy because you, yeah. you, know, you remember Elon Musk buying and being like, I'm going to get rid of all the bots two years later. Nothing it's has happened with that. the bots. Yeah, yeah. That's it's true. crazy. Um, okay, let's move on to what was the first, like, I know there was the PE stuff or like the guys who were buying funds. What was the first thing? Like, I think you were saying what, like new traffic or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- I end up talking to a ton of brands, probably 15 to 20 a week. Yeah. And then obviously we have clients. And the one thing I've started to realize that kind of sets apart category leading brands from anybody else who maybe even has a a superior product is how well they're able to build the brand around the product, essentially. So like, for example, you know, Warby Parker definitely has a competitor that's side by side. Actually, Warby's a bad idea. Jolie. Jolie is a showerhead. They raised once. And then, uh, so I'm saying that because now money is not an issue, which Warby Parker had a ton of. But Jolie is and will probably continue to be that category leader because of how good they've built the brand and the aesthetic around the product that they're selling. And like the content, the positioning, the people they seed product to. Yeah. And I've just come to realize, like, you know, uh, there's a clothing brand that we work with and that's where this stemmed from was they were saying, you know, we, how do we just grow this thing? Like we have another brand that's done extremely well, but how come this one isn't doing the same results as that? And that's a hundred million dollar brand. And I was like, you know, you, you've spent, you know, probably the last over a decade building the brand of the first one. You can't expect this one to just blow up from ads or just looking cute or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, you got to basically, you know, you got to focus on things that just build brand or build better perception, which I think a lot of people overlook because they think if I have a good product, either if I have a good product, they'll come or if I have a good product and I run ads, then I don't, you know, problem is solved. There's no like magic here. It's it's still the exact same thing, which is you got to have a great product and you've got to understand distribution. Yeah. And I think like a lot of t- people are making this. Like you, you talked about Joe Lee. One of the things I love about Ryan is that he's a second time founder. First time founders are always like, my product is perfect. Everything else, like you know, uh, you talk to a bunch of brands. I don't talk to nearly as many brands as you do, but I still get a ton of pitches. Right. And people will be like, "What separates my brand is founder story and mission." And I'm like, uh, "That's not, not separation." Yeah. You know, second time founders are thinking about distribution and they're like, how do we grow this brand? Like, you know, when we have a great product, how do we get in front of the masses? Mm -hmm. First time founders are always like, uh, we have a great product. We think this is enough. And I think that that might be a little bit of the magic that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, But I will say that like, you know, I always wondered, um, and this is tangential to what you were talking about, which was, okay, so I have a hundred million dollar brand and let's say it's selling, I don't know, shoes. Okay. Really nice pair of shoes. Should I also create my own knockoff and start selling a $60 pair of shoes that may not be as good, but that like looks okay? So that when people are like, you know what, I can't get the $100 brand, but I can afford the $60 brand. And, you know, that might make sense. Like, I always think about this in the case of like, what's a good example? A good example would be, uh, I'm going to use one called, you know, Stanley, you know, how Stanley has that yeah. thermos. How much does that thermos sell for? Oh my God. 
40, $50 yeah. or something like yeah. that, right? Like that huge thermos. Yep. How many people are like, I want this thermos, but I don't want to spend 40 or $50. Yeah. Uh, maybe I want to spend $20. Should Stanley knock off their own product and sell a generic version to capture the lower end of the market? Or is that crazy? Like I thought about that when you said there's a hundred million dollar brand is like, hey, we're starting another brand. I'm like, yeah. I wonder if what the brand you should be starting is a crappier version of the brand you have. Yeah. I feel like in theory, it sounds like a good idea and maybe easier to execute if you have all of the operations built out. But I still think then it comes back to this, which is like you have to also build that $60 shoe has to also be the coolest $60 shoe. Yes. Which is a hard thing to yes. do. Yeah, that is a hard thing to do. I do think also apparel is especially really hard. It's hard yeah. to make people like things. You either drop something and it either hits or it doesn't hit. Yeah, yeah. Apparel would be a bad example, but like a good example would be a like super expensive furniture. vitamin C serum, right? Okay, like sure. You, you yeah. know, you have a $100 vitamin C serum. What if I yeah. launch a 30 if, you have native deodorant at $12. Should we have sold a set $6 version? Yeah. That was like the same formula and like worse scents. Yeah. I still don't know. Like when you go to the gas station, you have the option to use 87, 89, or 93. You know, you have the option to choose all these <laughs> yeah. octanes. You know, I, I just don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know. I would love to talk to somebody who's doing that. And they're like, yeah, I feel like there are examples of that. I just can't think of it. I mean, Nike, like if you look at, Outlet malls. That's yeah. essentially this, right? Like when Nike, yeah. when most brands or yeah, I guess smaller brands do outlet stuff. It's like last season's inventory goes to the outlet store. Nike makes, has like full supply chain that's completely separate that just goes to the outlets. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. And they get the benefit of that brand halo effect exactly. still of like the nice brand. And they're like, okay, this is the cheaper version. Yeah. Maybe that's a great example. Yeah. Uh, I wonder too, like, I think if you were to launch it under the same name, yeah. I still think, you know, if I saw two Nike shoes and one was, you know, $40 and one was like 140, I'd probably still go for the 140. I think there's going to be a lot of customers, you know, even the native example. I still think if you were like 6 and 12, yeah. I'd imagine a lot are still like, actually I'd rather go for the 12, even if it's they're both say native. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. During the great financial crisis like, you know, in 2006, 2007, 2008, Everyone was broke, right? Yeah. And so I remember reading an article in the Wall Street Journal where Tide had launched Tide Basic because they're like, okay, forget about premiumization. We need to offer discounted versions. And we don't want to discount Tide the way it is today. So we're offering Tide Basic, which is like just the cleaning you need without any of the frills, which yeah. I'm not even sure what the frills of like Tide Orange are. But, you know, is it a great idea? Like, you know, they offered bounty in the same way. They're like, let's just make more ch cheaper versions, call them. A like, you know, who does this is like printers. Printers have like, you know, yeah. here's a Epson one. Here's another one that's cheaper. I, I do think that someone should do it with multiple brands. And I don't think that's crazy. And, you know, maybe P&G has done it with Tide and Gain. And Gain is like the cheaper version of Tide. It's not as crazy an idea as some people may think. And I'm surprised more people don't do it. Yeah, it's a good point. Like Stanley. Stanley's a massive business with this new mug. Yeah. Like um, I've heard it, you know, I've heard insane numbers of that. I'm Stanley sure Brumate is killing it as a result of the Stanley craze. Th yeah, that's right. And, and I just wonder like, you know, and maybe that's a bad example, but like, uh, you know, I'm surprised that people just don't offer cheaper versions with yeah. a knockoff brand so that it can capture the bottom of the market. Totally. Um, okay, let me switch gears yeah. and talk about one thing that I wanted to mention, which was something that grinds my gears. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which is... 
This is you, the second time. This should be a segment. Th- I know. I want this to be a segment. You know, you know where Grinds My Gears yeah, comes from? Peter Griffin. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I love that segment. Um, e-commerce businesses are strapped, are always looking for margin, right? Like we're constantly being margin compressed. And so, um, you know, we're looking for ways to make more money. One of the ways I just realized that we were losing a lot of money is if you start collecting sales tax, you have to pay processing fees, like Stripe credit card fees, credit card charges on the sales tax you collect. Mm-hmm. So like, l- let me, let me uh, give you a real life example. You have an average order of $100, okay? Mm-hmm. Florida state sales tax, I grew up in Florida. The Florida state sales tax is probably around 8%. So uh, like, you know, could be seven, could be six, could be eight. Uh, I'm sure they place it above it. Let's say it's 8%. That means on a hundred dollar AOV, you collect eight dollars in taxes. Mm-hmm. Okay, that eight dollars in taxes you're going to give to the government, but you've got to pay two point nine percent on that eight dollars that you got for the government, and that's going to cost you twenty three cents. Oh shit! So now you're out twenty three cents collecting eight dollars for the government. Yeah, this is not right. And you know, a while ago you asked me if e-commerce had a lobby. What would you lobby for? And one of the things I, I one of the things we talked about was like easier and more uh, streamlined state taxes. So you're not collecting taxes in 50 states or like you know 45 states and 25 counties in each state or whatever it is. Yeah. But this is crazy. And so I was thinking about the numbers for True Classic, okay? Because mm-hmm. uh, Ben was on the show right after uh, Black Friday, right? And he talked about his numbers and he said this. And you know, I think he said we're going to do 300 million dollars in top line. Yeah. I think that's the number he said. I'm not entirely sure. But if they're doing $300 million in top line, let's say they still collect an 8% sales tax, okay? There's some states that don't have sales tax, like, you know, New Hampshire and Delaware and like Oregon, I think, or maybe Washington. Like there's some states that don't have it. But let's mm-hmm. say let's say they just collected 8% for everyone. That's $24 million in sales tax that they're going to collect this year. Yep. That's $700,000 they're going to pay in processing charges, in order to collect that sales tax that the government is going to get to get. In order to collect the sales tax for the government. So they're losing $700,000, collecting $24 million of taxes for the government. Doesn't Numeral solve this? Uh, no, Numeral, I don't think, uh, Numeral is a company you and I are both, invest- I think we're both investors. Right? Yeah. Inv- yeah. Numeral is a company that uh, does sales tax and um, I use them and they're amazing. Uh, so, you know, I have every incentive to say that I'm a customer. Yeah, it's like that just for men commercial. I'm not only, <laughs> I'm not a founder. I, I'm not only an investor, I'm also a user. Yeah. Uh, but like they're fantastic at collecting sales tax, making it really easy, remitting it to states, Got not it. doing like, you know, I what I don't want to do is uh, I don't want to pay another service like, uh, you know, these services that tie your co- the cost of their services to your revenue. Yeah. You know, these uh, like numeral, they're like flat fee for collecting sales tax and remitting sales tax flat fee for registering you in the states that you need to be registered in. They take care of all of that Got and it. they're fantastic. But they don't avoid you from collecting the sales tax. You still have to collect sales tax from the customer and the customer is still going to swipe their credit card and you've got to pay for that. Yeah. And I didn't even think of, you know, my parents owned gas stations. Right. We paid, uh, you know, processing charges at those gas stations for sales taxes we collected. And nobody, like, I don't remember any time the government was like, actually, you get a deduction because you paid 2.9% in processing charges. Right. The government's like, give, you collected $100, give me $100. Yeah. You you had to pay $3 in fees? Fuck you. Yeah, I see. So I'm just checking out on the Hint website because I remember this was a huge issue when we were coming to Shopify. And there is in the checkout a bottle deposit. And then there's another line item for estimated taxes. 
But I guess that estimated taxes is just customer facing, but it's not actually being separated from the purchase. It's which correct. is what your point is, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's still it's, paying for. Yeah, it's separated from the purchase, and that like as a Shopify store, you have two different lines there. Yeah, but you still ultimately have to remit all of them. Yeah, like you have yeah, to remit yeah. the tax to the government. Wow. Just like that bottle deposit, you're probably collecting five cents. Right. You're paying the two point nine percent on that five cents right. too. You know. Huh. Um, is there any way around that? Stripe would have to be the one to say, like, we're not going to do this anymore. Well, I don't think, I think state governments would have to say, like, you know, you'd basically have to get Visa and MasterCard to be like, okay, we're not going to charge on state sales tax. And I think there are yeah. certain states that are moving in this direction. I was like researching it a little bit. Yeah. I think certain states had moved in that direction. But like, generally, I think most brands are still paying processing charges on in, on state sales tax that they have to collect. And that's millions of dollars in this yeah, industry. Especially for Stripe. Yeah. And not just Stripe, but Visa and MasterCard, yeah. right? Like they're the guys that are getting 2.9% or whatever it is on amounts that the government is going to end up, the government is going to get. It's not profit. Like you're right. collecting a processing charge for money that you're going to remit to the government. So like this requires a national solution, which is Congress to say, you know, you cannot collect fees as a Visa or MasterCard or Stripe right. uh, for state for taxes for the state. Maybe it's 50 states have to, like each state has to do it individually. Yeah. But that's something I'd like to see because it seems really unfair that Ben and the guys at True Classic have to give up so much EBITDA in order to make sure the government gets their cut. Yeah. I'm not saying don't get the, the government shouldn't get their cut. Fine. Right. Oh, let's all agree to that. Yeah. But this is like, you're taking money out of my pocket in order to get your right. cut. Damn. Wow, how did you even think of that? That's genius. I was thinking about people who are screwing me. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know. You're like, you know and, how Dave Portnoy has the Dom Perignon? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that he pops open every time one of his enemies. Yeah, that's You just right. have that with, with sales tax and all the other stuff. Yeah, uh, the, list, the list was like 40 <laughs> pages. And I was like, okay, this is bad. I was like, my New Year's resolution is to get revenge against home. No, <laughs> yeah. it's really not. But I did think that this was like something that was unfair. And somebody, yeah. you know, I, I don't know who it is that should step in and uh, fix this. But, you know, Ben's got to give up seven. Ben and his team have to give up $700,000 in EBITDA. This, there are tens of millions of dollars being uh, drawn from this industry as yeah. a result of this. Totally. Okay, Nick, I went to Long Weekend's website and I used Weekend Pay when I checked out. I know that's powered by Tandem. Can you tell me what the hell Weekend Pay is? Yes, so Tandem's awesome. Have you ever gone to JetBlue's website or the Macy's store and been asked to sign up for their credit card? That's because the stores benefit from lower processing fees, higher shopper AOV, higher customer loyalty, and a higher repeat purchase rate. Tandem allows any Shopify brand to build their own branded credit card system. Previously, you had to be a billion dollar a year brand to go to a big bank and build a branded credit card with them. I've actually gone down that path to see what's possible, and that's how I actually discovered Tandem. The same team that built this at Capital One for brands is now making it so that any DTC brand can immediately launch a branded credit card. On top of that, with Tandem, you can focus on contribution margin. Many of the brands launching with Tandem are seeing a 10% increase in contribution margin from the program. 2024 is the year to focus on profit. To learn more about Tandem, open your browser and enter dtc.creditcard and then press enter. Book a demo with the amazing team at Tandem. And if you're a brand that does over $5 million a year, you'll get a $100 Amazon gift card. Again, go to dtc.creditcard to make more profit. Okay, let's move on to uh, your thing about private equity, like the roll-ups, like the bankruptcies, the guys who are doing a really good job with roll-ups, the guys who are doing a really poor job with roll-ups. Yeah, well... The really poor job, I feel like we have sort of seen the Thrasios of the world and some of the others 
So did you see something Navy and Nadam and a few others? They got bought up. By I saw something Navy for a dollar. One dollar. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they got bought for a dollar. And basically they get a dollar. All the liabilities of seven and a half million got paid. And then all the liabilities got paid. Yeah. That was a part of, that was basically the deal. Like a dollar plus, yeah. plus seven and a half, and half million, million and a dollar. Okay. So seven and a half million and one dollar. And then, um, for something Navy, I, frankly, I'm not, I'm not even sure that's a good deal. Yeah. Well, here's the crazy thing. So in, in 20, in 2009, this girl, Arielle Charnas, she's the influencer behind the brand. Yeah. She started getting famous. And then I believe they launched some line with Nordstrom. And then that did so well that they ended up pulling it out and basically creating its own brand. They raised $17.5 million in July of 2020. They did $32 million in their first year. And they've revalued themselves at $100 million. In November 21st. Wait, when did they do 32 million? Sorry. Uh, the first year of business. So wow. it must have been 2021. Wow. Then in November of 2021, they basically said, we're going to open 15 new stores by the end of next year, 2022. And then in 2022, they had issues financially. It's not really disclosed what went wrong, but they had a lot of issues. They couldn't pay suppliers, freelancers, models. Uh, half the staff quit. Sales dropped. Uh, the factory started holding the product because they weren't getting paid anything. So then the breakdown was really interesting. So the company that basically brokered the deal is uh, it's a real estate developer. It's probably the people who are owed the money for their seven and a half million dollars. Okay. Yeah, they got two and a half percent of the the new deal. Uh, the original investors who probably owned I don't know 35 percent now own fourteen and a half percent of the new co. The influencer herself still owns 14.5%. And the new parent company, IHL, owns uh, 68.5%, which I thought was a great deal for REL and for the IHL group. So then I started looking into IHL group, and these guys basically buy up brands. So they've vertically integrated everything around apparel. Their site's nothing fancy. They're like the guys that have showrooms in Midtown. You know those, uh, have you ever been to like an apparel showroom? No. In Or, or like- uh, The Zara. What is it oh, called? The Garment right. District? Like yeah, gone yeah, in yeah. those offices yeah, there? Yeah, sure, yeah. It's like you walk in and yeah. So these guys, they own, a, uh, looks like 12 other brands, including Aeropostel. That's the only one I yeah. recognize. BCBG too, right? Is that them? Uh, that is them, yeah. But I don't know what that is. Um, uh, I don't know what, it, yeah, God, you're so young. <laughs> Do you know the phrase nights and weekends minutes? Oh, yeah. Like if you're calling, yeah, uh, yeah you could I was only wondering. I was thinking about that on my way over here. I was like, I wonder if Nick Sharma knows oh, dude, I nights was, and weekends. I knew everything about every single Verizon and AT&T phone <laughs> on the market. So anyway, so they've got, yeah, Tahari, BCBG, Jason yeah. Wu, Aeropostel. Yeah. And it seems like they are one of the few companies that's figured out how to make this work basically by combining their manufacturing abilities, their distribution relationships into, you know, Macy's, Ross, yeah. TJ Maxx. And then basically they go out, find these brands, plug them in, and they've got the brand name, which is the hardest thing to do. And now they've just got their supply chain and distribution going. It's, a, and, it's an interesting model. And so, I'm sorry, did they, were they the lenders? Were they the guys who gave the $7.5 million to something Navy? Or yes. um, they were? That was okay. IHL, yeah. That was IHL. Okay, gotcha. Um, but there's a few others. So there's uh, there's a company called Fraser's Group. 
which is a publicly traded British retailer. They've acquired 42 brands. Six of them were distressed. Marquee Brands, obviously, uh, which is backed by a huge PE firm. Uh, there's THG, who've spent $1.5 billion at over 34 acquisitions. Uh, there's IHL, which we just talked about. And then there's also, there was one interesting one that I found, which just bought that brand, JVN. Have you heard of JVN? No. JVN was, uh, it's Jonathan, it stands for Jonathan Van Ness. Oh, yeah. He had a yeah, skin yeah, yeah. Uh, hair care yeah, brand. Yeah. yeah. And He's um, the guy who was on like um, Queer Eye for a Straight Guy or something, right? Yes, yes, yes. And they were, I want to say they were valued at some point, either 40 or 400 million, one of those two, but some insane valuation. They got picked up for a million dollars as a part of a bankruptcy filing. What do you think the goal is? If you buy JVN or something Navy, what do you think the goal yeah. is? Because something Navy is not the next Nike and it's not the next yeah. Allbirds or On Shoes or, you know, what is it? It's, it's not the next Aloe Yoga. Yeah, I do think that, for example, like on, on running, well, in general, I think the goal is basically instead of building a Nike, like instead of building a $10 billion brand, can we maybe build 10 $50 million brands? That's right, yes. Or 30 $50 million brands. I think a lot of times too, like I'd imagine a lot of these companies are set up somewhat similar to maybe a Sharma brand setup, which is, or in any agency setup, which is like you've got departments that are really good at certain things and you sort of have this machine that you can, you know, put something in on one side and out the other side comes the, the finished product, I'd imagine they're they're looking at some of these businesses and they're like, oh, you guys are spending how much on employee cars for a VP of marketing and an SVP yeah. of marketing and a yeah. director of marketing yeah. and integrated brand marketing manager. Like we could just do, we could cut all these costs. The brand is already well-known and it's well-liked. It has good reviews and we can just plug it. We can, you know, drop the cost of uh, supply chain or producing these products and all the places you guys have been trying to get to or places where you know you probably won't want to go to we'll just go there because we can immediately unlock cash so one i think you're absolutely right i think there is a play of like let us pick up 10 5 to 10 million dollar brands and we have a decent size maybe not publicly traded business but like you know strong business that somebody else could roll up into a, yeah. a couple of these and actually go public or sell to somebody more interesting so I think you're right. I think there is the option. Like, though that is the, that is an uh, their, their MO. And I think it's a really good one because I think it's much easier to build a $10 million brand than it is to build a $50 million brand. Like, yeah. you know, the cost of advertising just goes up so much. Totally. Um, and that, like, it's, if you're, like, trying to be really economical about it, like, you know, you're probably going to have a lean team and focus yeah. on digital ads. And so I think it, it makes a lot of sense to do that five ten $10 million brand instead of one $50 million brand. The other thing that comes to mind is like, if you go to a lot of these platforms or hold co websites, they're nowhere near the level of sophistication that modern day hold co websites are only to say that these guys are clearly not like digital guys. They're not looking at this and thinking we can run ads better or we can have a better Shopify site than these guys can. They're looking at this and thinking, okay, we have all the relationships to plug these products in and immediately start selling because people will go to TJ Maxx or Macy's and they'll recognize this brand yeah. name immediately. Do you think that like they approach this as there's still juice to squeeze out of this lemon, but it'll die? Or do you think that they're like, this is a brand we're going to revive or like, you know, maintain mm. for, like, 
10 years from now, is something Navy still selling? Or they're just like, look, we think that, you know, uh, we can buy it for seven and a half million dollars. We can probably generate a hundred million dollars of sales in the next three years, maybe $250 million of sales in the next five years. Squeeze whatever juice is out of there. Because, you know, we go to TJ Maxx and uh, Marshall's, hard to come back. Yeah. Like if you're that's there great. pretty consistently and that's where your brand shows up yeah. and like you, then you create a boutique in Soho, that boutique <laughs> in Soho is not going to work out. Similar to our earlier combo. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, there's this uh, company called uh, VF Corp. Do you know VF Corp? Yes. Uh, they own like Vans. That's right. North yes. Face. There was a great article about them in the Wall Street Journal actually today that I was reading and they were doing something like this. They acquired these brands and like, you know, create, create like this hold co yeah. um, and it's large enough to go public. And what happened is that they would they used to keep all of these brands entirely independent. Like the Vans guys would have their office. Like the North Face guys would have their office. In the North Face office, the conference rooms were named after like mountains in Alaska. In the Vans offices, the you know uh, everyone wore like people would skateboard inside the office, hmm. and like they had a really like culture that fit the brand. And then what VF Corp would do is they'd end up like recently what they were doing is they'd start making the decisions according to this article internally rather like they were like, you know what? We don't need all of these different divisions. I see. First, they're like, let's move everyone to big once big central office. And I think it was like Denver. And so like, you know, half the like, you know, big part of the company quit because every, some people were over here and some people are over here. Not everyone wanted to move. Then they're like, let us make a lot of the decisions. And then the Vans guys are like, look, we can't do anything here. You guys are making all the decisions at corporate. Yeah. You know, what do you want us to do? And then the brand lost a little bit of its ethos and Vans has like uh, VF Corp hasn't been doing so well recently. Interesting. I want like, you know, it's a hard balance of like when you're an aggregator or like, you know, when you own so many different brands, it's really hard to make sure that there's like the right balance between corporate functions and independent decisions that fit the brand ethos. Yeah. I think with building any brand, you have to, you can't like try to build it off an Excel sheet, which this obviously, these deals are definitely more PE style. But yeah. I think the, the, the companies that have done this well have still done a good job maintaining or letting brands maintain themselves or not cutting everything down to you know, yeah. the last penny. Yeah. Is there anyone who you think has been doing a bad job of these roll-ups? Yeah, but I don't know if I want to name them. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I think I know who it is, actually. Yeah. But the, you know, like, I think there there was definitely, let's see, when was this? Probably like 2019. I think it was pre-COVID. I remember meeting so many people who were raising tens of millions of dollars to basically say, we're going to go out and just buy a bunch of stuff. And then we have one team who's really good at, at, you know, doing this. And so they'll just plug right in and it'll work, but that just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, is crazy. Um, I'm going to text you the guy that I, sorry. I, uh, when, as soon as you said, uh, there's a guy, is it this guy? It's doing a bad job of rolling up brands. That one and this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Multiple guys. That's yeah. great. Um, okay. Uh, let's move on to, uh, one, I want to get to predictions, but before that, I want to talk about one thing really quickly. Perfect. Facebook and Instagram shops. The more and more I learn about Facebook and Instagram shops, the more and more powerful I think they are. And le legitimately 10 years from now, I think that they're going to be, the rival to Shopify may be Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Or like the biggest problem for Shopify is not Amazon, it's Facebook and Instagram. And if I had to guess, and this is a wild guess, like, 
new customer traffic, like, you know, all traffic, generally, if you look at traffic, I bet most traffic comes to Shopify websites. You know, there's no data on this, but I, I bet the guys at Shopify know from like Google AdWords mm-hmm. or from emails. I guess those would be the number one, number two, just because you're sending out so many emails and people are Googling your brand. But I think if you really looked at it, like if you just like if you look really look at your ads, new customer traffic is probably coming from Facebook because that's where people totally. are being discovered. Then they Google you and then it looks like it's Google traffic, but it's really Facebook traffic. And I think that if Facebook starts to say, let me have checkout happen on Facebook and the product page on Facebook and reviews on Facebook, it becomes an existential threat to Shopify. And I don't know if we're like 10 years away from that or five years away from that, but I do believe that it's already that. Or like the 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 skeleton of that existential threat exists. Yeah. And I think Facebook is starting to make it a little bit stronger. And one of the ways they're making it stronger is um, like reviews. They've now started making it really easy for you to import your reviews or at least easier to import your reviews from your Shopify site onto Facebook. So if you're looking for native deodorant and you go to your Shopify website and you have 15,000 reviews, you also have 15,000 reviews when people go to your Facebook product page because Mm -hmm. They import those reviews from Shopify and uh, those 15,000 reviews make it more likely for people to check out, right? Like if I click totally. over on your Facebook ad, go to your Facebook shop and see 15,000 reviews, I'm sure I'm more likely to purchase than if I don't see any reviews. For sure. I think there's still a couple places where they're missing important parts of the Facebook shop. And the biggest one I think is coupon codes. Mm, they are yeah. not making it a place for you to create, upload, and like allow your customers to get coupon codes. Yep. And I think once they do that, it'll be far more interesting. Because one of the reasons that there's leakage from Facebook, I think people would buy on Facebook and they're like, I can't put on a coup- I have this coupon code. I can't put it on Facebook. Let me go do it on Shopify. Yep. And I think that coupon codes will make that skeleton much stronger for Facebook when it, it tries to compete with Shopify. I fully agree. I also think, have you played around much with uh, or shop from TikTok shops? No, no, I haven't. Okay, TikTok, TikTok shop did a really so facebook shops has been around for probably like what a year year and a half now something like that yeah tiktok shop when they came out they came out so well done they have a few things that i think do really well so they don't open like a shop so facebook shop you click it you basically go to a collections page yeah whereas tiktok shop you see the product you click the product it just pops up to fill about 80% of the page so it looks like it's not too invasive or you're yeah. you're changing your screen and then you've got basically a carousel, image carousel, you know, title and price. You can strike out the price and put a ne- another price next to it, which pops up in red. Yeah. Or red and like black. a sale price. Yeah. Yeah. Then it shows how many units have been sold, which is immediate like validation yeah. proof. Then it says the reviews, but the reviews can only be one uh, imported or written by TikTok shoppers. Wow. So if I buy something on TikTok shop. Only I can go and review it. You can't go review it without buying it through TikTok Shop. Wow. So it's like um, verified reviews. Yeah. The other thing they do on the back end, which I don't think Facebook does to this level, maybe they do it themselves, but uh, like when you upload a product into TikTok Shop, you have to go so deep on your product. You have to go super deep on what niche it's in, yeah. what type of ingredients are used. You have to upload your ingredient list. You know, where is your packaging, the weight, the length, like everything, which I think is great because I think in a year from now, all that information is going to be, is going to make the advertising platform 10 times more effective. Uh, Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, that's like uh, Facebook does do that red strikeout. You can't offer like a sale price. You just can't offer a coupon code, which I think is really important. 
and yeah, I've heard great things from uh, uh, like TikTok shops, and they even like release the top ten TikTok shops yeah. or something, which I think is crazy because I thought like if I yeah I was on there, I'd be like, don't put my name on. Here. <laughs> yeah. In fact, if you were thinking, yeah. Um, and then like you know that's interesting that they do that with reviews because realistic like. Really, one of the hard parts about reviews is that as, like, it's always a race to the bottom. Yeah. You want to put everyone's reviews on your site because you're going to get a higher conversion rate. Right. So it's better for you. It's also better for the brand and more brands are going to be excited about it, right? Like if I can walk into Facebook and say, hey, I've got 15,000 reviews and there's it's a four-star rating, it's way better than if I go on a TikTok shop and my first three guys give me two reviews. Yeah. That, and they're, uh, they're two two-star reviews and I'm like, wow, it looks like I have a two-star yeah. rating. This sucks. Right. So usually it's a race to the bottom and people are like, we'll do any review you want. Right. So really impressed that they don't do that. Um, good for them. Yeah. Okay, let's move on because I know we're running short on time to predictions for 2024. I've got a few ideas. I'd love to, uh, you know, should I start or do you want to start? Uh, you start. Okay, not all of these are e-commerce related, uh, I think, but well, actually, let me start with one that is. Rationalization of SaaS pricing. I think SaaS yeah, prices great. for in e-commerce are going to change. They have gotten fucking absurd. Everyone wants Insane. 1% of your revenue. What, uh, and, uh, you know, I've never been to a sales page where they're not like, call me. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, do you do one sale a year? Call us. Yeah, yeah. You know, let us see how much you money have a we pulse? can extract from Call us. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I think that that is going to start ending. I think it's a little bit started already. Yeah. But I think that, like, moving forward, there's going to be a rationalization of SaaS pricing. I think Sendlane's doing that with Clavio. Mm -hmm. You know, when I saw this um, tweet uh, from the Yapo folks, and they were talking about rationalizing their pricing as well. Yeah. Um, why are you smiling when I say that? <laughs> No, just the drama you caused. <laughs> uh, and uh, so so I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about people saying, look, we've got this great service. We understand what we're offering. Uh, we're going to bring prices down. Uh, so that's my first prediction. One prediction I have is I think bot traffic and trying to get rid of bot traffic is going to be a real thing that SaaS companies focus on trying to solve in 2024 and that brands are going to like spend a lot of money on because... I don't know what percentage of traffic is bot traffic, but I would imagine at this point, it's a huge chunk of traffic is probably bot traffic. And uh, there are, it's either Google or Facebook. It's not both of them, just one of them. But one of them, if you submit a report properly, you can actually get credited for the traffic that you can prove was bot traffic driven by the ads. Wow. And so I think somebody's going to figure out how to solve that. I think Vigilance, that coupon code company is working on that, but- uh, I don't know if it's out yet. That's awesome. Yeah. That'd be great if there was like some AI thing that was just like, here, yeah. we think that this is all bot trap. We're a bot. We think this is bot trap. <laughs> yeah. We've identified our cousin. It's like that Spider-Man uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, here's another one I've got. Uh, someone does telemedicine for Ozempic right mm. uh, and makes Ozempic, which is already massive, even more massive. And yeah. this, this, whoever does this right will make a fortune. Rose working on it. They're trying to get Ozempic or, you know, Manjaro, right? Very hard to do. I think even with them, if you uh, get it, you, they'll get you a prescription, but you still have to go to your doctor to get, like they don't do, uh, oh, interesting. mail it to you. It's be Is that because it's like a different scheduled drug or something? I don't know. It's got to be shipped cold, I think, uh, uh. for starters. And also, I think it has to be shipped cold. And also, um, like, you know, this is not like those pills that have been around forever. This is like new, new medicine. <laughs> yeah. So people probably, people are like, let's make sure the liability yeah. is like not entirely on us. Yeah. The science experiment's happening right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Another one that I had uh, was that I think chat, AI chat, chatbots, whether it's ChatGPT yeah. or Bard or anything else, 
I think they'll slowly start to eat market share of AdWords and Google search. How so? Because like, Oh, Google even, search. Even for, sure. for me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Google uh, sorry. Yeah. Not AdWords, but just yeah. search. I, I don't even want to go to Google anymore. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to go spend my time trying to figure out it. You figure it out. I'm going <laughs> to yeah, just yeah. tell you. Yeah. And, that, uh, the, do you have the chat GPT app on your phone? No, but you I can do literally the, yeah. press a button and you conversate with it. Just talk to it and it talks back to you. And then you talk to it and it talks back to you. That's awesome. And you it, like, I think that's going to beat out search, especially now because it can go search the internet and like find its own yeah, information. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, there's like modular or modal AI. Have you heard of this? It's like you draw a photo and oh, show yeah. it to it. And it's like, we know this is a guitar. And then right. you draw an amp and it's like, you just added an amp. It's an electric guitar. Yeah. 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 Is this That's real? the new Google thing. I yeah, think. yeah. 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 I just don't know if that's real or not. But it's, yeah, I also don't know if it's like, is it, are, are we like, you know, six months away from this or six years away from this? Yeah. I have it's no hard idea. to tell. Yeah. It is really hard to tell. Um, okay. I've got two on Amazon. One is um, a notable pr- prediction. Right now, if you, like Amazon finds out that you're offering a cheaper price somewhere else, then Amazon will hide your buy box. So if it finds out that at Walmart, you're selling native for $10 and on Amazon, you're trying to sell for 13, it'll hide your buy box and it'll say available from these retailers and you got to click and find it. And no one can ever find it. Like, do you ever go to an Amazon PDP? Yeah, that happened to me yesterday, actually. That's what it is usually. Huh. It's, it can be like out of stock or no, like no, not prime eligible or something, but often it's, they hide the buy box because they found cheaper prices elsewhere. So they don't want to, they want to encourage people. But to, why wouldn't they want that sale? Well, they want to kill you as the seller until you're like, let me offer you, the, let me offer the cheapest price on Amazon too. Got it. But I think that they're not going to be able to do that soon because of like FTC stuff. I think yeah. that's one of the things that they're going to give up when it comes to their antitrust suit. So I think that will give sellers a little bit more leverage with Amazon. Got it. The other thing I think with that uh, will happen, and this is a much bolder prediction, is at the end of this year, they will announce, I don't think they'll offer it this year. I think next year they will they will announce this at the end of this year that they're going to open up their fulfillment to other uh, partners. So oh, they will no become way. a competitor to UPS or FedEx, like or USPS. They'll say, look, we will pick up packages from you and deliver them somewhere else. That's a prediction. Not they certainly have not announced that. But I Almost would guess like, uh, you're thinking like how stored or uh, ShipBob, like they have a network of of other fulfillment centers that act under their software. Yeah, a, a board like um, just like UPS. Yeah, you can go and give them a package and they'll deliver it. Like I can give them a package and they'll deliver it to you. I think that. Amazon will say for other e-commerce businesses or probably for fulfillment warehouses, we'll open ourselves up. So we will pick up stuff and our Amazon guys will deliver oh, it. And now we just will the be, delivery Yeah, piece. just the delivery Oh, piece. wow. And now we'll, we, we'll, we will be a competitor to UPS, FedEx, USPS. Damn, that is a... They've like built... That is the, such a good prediction. They've already built like the infrastructure for yeah. it. You know, they're the only guy... Like, imagine trying to compete with FedEx today. Yeah, you like, can't. Uh, I only deliver packages in three, these three blocks of Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. I need this delivered in San Francisco tomorrow. Yeah. Amazon can do that. Wow. That is such a good prediction. It's a bold one, but I don't know if it's good. Wow. Uh, okay, do you have any more? No. Okay. I've got one more and I know that we've got to wrap this up. I've okay. got, for, I also have to mention, I've got a fantastic business idea I want to talk about, but we'll save that for the next episode. The, my final prediction, which is not related to e-commerce at all, is I think that at the end of this year, we will see Chinese electric vehicle manufacturers eclipse Tesla, eclipse Tesla in you know production. And by 2026, they'll enter the US market and t- dominate it. Chinese manufacturers for electric vehicles are insane. There's this great, I've seen, have you heard of this car called BYD? 
No. It's called Build Your Dreams. It's these Chinese guys making them and uh, they're producing them like there's no tomorrow. They're innovating like there's no tomorrow. You know, it's taking Tesla three years to get the Cybertruck on the road. And don't get me wrong, I love Tesla. I own two Teslas. My final prediction is uh, Chinese EVs at the end of this year start eclipsing Tesla and take the lead of uh, EVs. I know we've got to wrap up this episode. Business idea for uh, 2024 coming up on the beginning of the next episode. Amazing. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm not even going to so ask good. you this week. Okay, good. It's going to be I'm so I'm excited good. to hear it. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap for episode two of this season. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.